Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together this evening, and we do so in the precious name of Jesus, enlightened by the Holy Spirit who reveals to us even the deep things of God. And as we yield ourselves to your spirit, may he anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be open. And most importantly, Father God, we submit ourselves to be changed from glory to glory by your spirit that we might conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he has apprehended us. Be glorified, Father, in all that is said and done in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God. I just titled the message this evening, Flesh versus the Spirit. Flesh versus the Spirit. And our opening text will be the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Well, you can preach a while right there, couldn't you? Don't be deceived, misled, misdirected. Deceived, deception really means to present as truth what is a lie. And oh, how easy it is for people to buy the lie. That's exactly what Satan banks on. His power is deception. That's it. That's what he used in the beginning with Adam and Eve, with Eve actually. And of course, he doesn't change his MO. He's still doing the same thing today. So don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It sounds like we're not to be deceived into thinking that things happen just because they just happen. What we sow, we reap. That's the principle. That's a law. For he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. So which is, which is our preference? Seeds of corruption or seeds of uh, life everlasting? And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, notice the biggest word in our vocabulary, if, if what? If we faint not. How many of you know that the fight of faith is just that, a fight? It's a fight, and we can't faint. The enemy will try to get us to faint, cave in, lose heart, give up, and we shouldn't do it. The flesh wants to faint, wants to give up, wants to cave in under the pressure and just say, okay, forget about it. This is too, too much for me. But the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. So it's important we understand that this is the fight that we're in. This is the warfare, the main part of the warfare. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh so that we can't do the things that we really should, that we want to do. So it's important we recognize this and know that this law of sowing and reaping doesn't change just because we got saved. Once we've been born again, we have the life and nature of God in us, and that's a wonderful thing. But we can still sow to the flesh if we so choose. Did you notice that after you've been saved, you can still sow to the flesh? Anybody here? Or we can sow to the Spirit if we so choose. But in the process of doing so, we understand it's easier to sow to the flesh. Isn't it? Absolutely. 
The unrenewed mind is in agreement with the flesh. But when it comes to spiritual things, it's like we've got to stand our ground. And we can't cave in. We can't lose heart. We cannot give up. Stand firm. Why? Because in due season, we will reap if. If what? If we faint not. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, Jesus really said a lot about spirit and flesh, whether we recognize that or not, or realize that or not, but he did. And I want to point some verses out that re reveal to us what he talked about with regard to the flesh and the spirit of a man. He's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is highly regarded in the Jewish religion. He has high status. He's an educator, and so on. And he says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. But I want to highlight or point out what is of the flesh is flesh, what is of the Spirit is spirit. I want to show us how someone as religious and as educated as Nicodemus was can be more flesh-dominated then spirit dominated. Because what did he respond? How did he respond? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again or be reborn? He's thinking physical. Jesus is thinking spiritual. Jesus says, look, Nicodemus, what's born of the flesh is flesh. I'm not talking about a physical something. I'm talking about a spiritual something. Your spirit needs to be born again, reborn. But notice how easy it is for us to gravitate always toward fleshly things, carnal things, or natural things, because that's commonplace for us. So when we start walking in the Spirit, this is new territory for us, and we need to recognize that. So, John's Gospel, chapter 4, we see something else that Jesus said about Spirit and flesh. This is the woman at the well, and this woman at the well... So of course, she finds Jesus is talking to her, and there's a conversation going on between the two of them. And she has a question that she wants to ask him. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now let's just put this all together and see where he's coming from. She's a Samaritan. We say you worship over there. A geographical, physical place. And this is where we're supposed to worship. But the Jews say in Jerusalem is the geographical location where a man or a woman worships and praises God. So who is right? And how are they thinking? Physically, carnally. And think about all the sacrifices and think about all the rituals and think about all the animals that were killed and all the ritual that they went through as far as offering supposed worship to God. And Jesus says, let's hold on just for a moment here. 
God is a spirit. And if you worship him, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are the true worshipers that he is looking for. And the time has come for change. It's not about whether you lift up your hand or you dance or you run or you shout and all that. It's about what's coming out of the heart of the individual. It's not about a sacrificial animal that you're sacrificing and all that any longer. It is about the heart condition of a person. A person whose heart has been made right with God has the ability from within to truly worship, honor, love, and adore God from his spirit. Which before that couldn't be done. They went through the motions of it all. But you see, he has our hearts recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And we are now in a position to worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for people like that. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more important uh, than that we focus on the internal part of our being and not as much the external. You see, what's the condition of my heart? Am I really, when I sang songs here tonight, was that really coming from my heart? Or was I just looking at the words and going through the motions and all that and just saying, yeah, yeah, did it, did it. Are you following me? From the heart, I've truly come to focus my attention on you. Father, I've truly come to express the gratitude that I have in my heart for you, for who you are, for what you have done. I don't know if you have the book, um, How to Live and Not Die. And that's by um, Norville Hayes. It's a really good book. And in one of the first chapters, first or second chapter in the book, he talks about truly worshiping God from the heart. Because if we want to live, then worshiping God from the heart is the key to it all. And then he states that, look, if we want God's attention, worship him. The Syrophoenician didn't get his attention until she worshipped him. The leper came down and worshipped him. And the others did as well. And when they did worship him, they got his attention. And so when we from the heart truly worship God in spirit and in truth, we're now placing ourselves in a position where he can inhabit our praises and our worship and he can live within them and when he's living within them he's manifesting himself in our praises which is why when we pray the prayer of faith I'll tell you what we shouldn't stop thank you Lord I know you heard me we should continue on thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And get so caught up in thank you. I praise you. I know you heard me. I know I have it. I worship you. You're such a good God. We should get so caught up in worship and praise of God that we're no longer involved in thinking about what we asked for. We're just thanking him that we have it. We know we have it. It is ours, and we're praising him and thanking him and worshiping him. I remember Brother Hagin talking about one of his children that had a growth on her eye, and he cursed it and commanded it to die. He said, I got so caught up in worshiping and thanking the Father for her healing 
that he looked in a mirror driving in the car one day, and I believe it was that he saw that it was gone and, and said, when did that happen? She said, three days ago. He didn't even notice it for three days because he was just so caught up in worshiping God. Notice it says, if you don't faint, when you're sowing spiritual things in your life, in my life, then we can't faint. We can't get weary when it comes to praising Him and thanking Him for the answer. Why? Because the enemy knows. He can short-circuit the power of God by getting us to a place that we deny what He's done for us. We can even doubt ourselves. Is He really listening to what I'm saying? Some situations take longer than others. Daniel for 21 days waited upon the Lord, even though the answer was dispatched in a heartbeat, but it was interrupted by a spirit, an evil spirit, Prince of Persia. And so you see, the same thing can be true with us. The enemy can be orchestrating things to stop us from receiving what belongs to us. We need to recognize the need for us to stay in faith and continue to worship and praise God for the answer. Because why? It's coming from the spirit to the flesh. From the inside to the outside. And sometimes that takes time. Look at the next verse in John 6. Now this is the one that blew everyone away. This, his congregation went from who could be hundreds, maybe even thousands, to 12. How would you like that? Well, I started with the 10,000 and I got 12 followers. So let's, let's read this and see why that happened. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is... Breadworks from downtown Pittsburgh at the Strip District. Mm -mm. My flesh. Whoa. What? My flesh. Which I will give for the life of the world... The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's against the law. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, double verily, very important, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Uh-oh. Now drink his blood? You have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So one was a fleshly, but the other is spiritual. Look at verse 63. They couldn't get it. They were so involved in the carnal, the natural, the physical. He says, and you have to put the whole thing in context. You can read it, but notice what he says. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are what? They're what? Their spirit and they are life. So in other words, I'm not talking about being carnivorous. Stop thinking in the natural. You know, I'm not going to hand my arm out and say, take a bite, you know, and drink my blood. I'm not talking about that. And what happened? They all left them. 
And he went to his 12 disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And what did Peter say? Where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. But notice Jesus said, my words I'm speaking, they are spirit. Which is why we should never take that section of scripture literally thinking he is saying you're eating my flesh carnivorously. No. He's talking about metaphorically. He's talking about these elements represent my body, represent my blood. And it's up to you to enter into the covenant with me where you partake of my life in you. And that's the way you do it, by believing through faith. So, obviously, they didn't see it yet. They were so bound by the natural, the physical world that they couldn't see beyond it. And you're going to see how that's going to affect us in just a moment. Look at the next one, Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Right? So he did fulfill the law. But now notice what he does here. Once again, he's trying to get them to get their eyes off the physical and get their eyes on the spiritual. But they had a hard time doing it. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already, where? In his heart. And in this section of scripture, he's talking about the difference between the law, the flesh, and the spirit. So, if you m murder somebody, then you're guilty of committing murder because you've killed somebody in the flesh. But Jesus said, uh-uh, let's raise the bar. If you hate someone from your heart, you've committed murder already. So you see how he's making a distinction between what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. Adultery being the same thing. In other words, they didn't commit it until they went through the act. But he's saying, no, if you from your heart lust, then you've committed it from your heart. So he's trying to open up their eyes to the spiritual realm and let them know that God is dealing with the heart of a man. See, the law was designed to get to the heart from the outside, from the flesh to get to the inside. Now that he's gone to the inside, he wants to get the life on the inside to the outside to correct our conduct, our behavior, our character, and all that from the inside out. But he had to get to the, from the outside in first. So, Galatians chapter 4. And this is where we really begin to sink our teeth into something that will help us be better recipients of the things that God has provided for us. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. See, they're already saved. But Christ isn't formed in them completely yet. So what is he doing? He is travailing for them. Crying out to God for them. Why? Because he wants Christ to be formed in them. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the what? Flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which stands for the law of the flesh, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. Next. Is that the end? 
Okay. He has two children, one born of the flesh and the other born of the spirit. One was by promise and one was by works. Here we have Abraham and Sarah after a while not receiving what they thought they should have by this time. So what happens? You know the story. They then, weary and well-doing, and now look to the flesh to get their answer. And of course, Sarah suggests that Abraham would have a child with Hagar, which is a work of the flesh. So they're now thinking in, in tune with the flesh and discarded the things of the spirit. And so now we have a child of the flesh, a work of the flesh, and not a work of the spirit. Well, as time goes on, they realize that this wasn't what God meant or said. And he meant what he said when he said, you're going to have a child yourself, Sarah. And so now shifting from the flesh to the spirit, what we discover is, look at verse 28 and 29. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. <laughs> How about that? Does the flesh persecute the spirit? Does the flesh war against the spirit? Of course, he's talking about people. But it's also true that this fight of faith that we're involved in involves the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh. And growing and developing spiritually is, is growing and developing the ability to look beyond the flesh into the realm of the spirit and believe. Now here, we see that, as probably many of us have done ourselves, when we don't see results soon enough, we can lean toward fleshly ideas and do things in the flesh to try to maybe help God out, I guess, like what they did. But it's up to us to remember that, look, this is a warfare. And you may not get results instantly. And probably in most cases, we're not going to get results instantly. Which is why we're told to hold fast our confession of faith without wavering. Because why? Faithful is he that promised and it will come to pass. Don't let go of it. Don't go back and be governed by the flesh. Stay in the realm of the spirit because in due season we will reap if we faint not. So no matter what it is, what we're believing God for, we need to hold fast, hold firm to our declaration of faith, knowing that God has heard us and we have whatever it is we, we asked of him. And let the spirit prevail over the flesh and all that it wants to say to us. And we're all in the same boat. We're all fighting the same good fight of faith. And we're all facing the same enemy that's out there. We all have the same redemption. But it's up to every one of us to recognize that this is what the life of faith is all about. Now, look at the next verse, because it doesn't stop there. Jesus in John 12 makes a declaration that should really speak to all of our hearts. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. How many times did Jesus say, Look, what I'm saying and what I'm doing is not of myself. What I'm saying and what I'm doing is what the Father tells me to say and the Father tells me to do. And what that reveals to us is a close, intimate fellowship that Jesus had with the Father. So he didn't say things or do things on his own accord. In other words, he got his 
marching orders from the father who basically told him exactly what to do and when to do it and what to say and when to say it. How important is that to all of us? Rather than thinking that I'm just going to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, but really getting the mind of God before we step out in faith and do something or say something. It is so important to keep in contact with heaven so that we can know what he wants us to do. And this is only a small example with large results, but I was just thinking when I was putting this together, just thinking about when I heard the Father say to me about Andrew when he was born, fear not only believe. I could have tried to muster up a bunch of scriptures and put them all together and everything. And, you know, rightfully so, you can put it together a network of scriptures and say, I'm going to stand on this. But I'll tell you what, when you hear from heaven and heaven gives you a directive, like go wash in the pool or whatever it else he tells you to do, go dip in the river, whatever it might be, then you have a foundation for your faith and you're stepping into the realm of the spirit because it's prompted by the Spirit, and you can act on that, and I'll tell you what, you can take that to the bank. So, every time we were challenged, I know I was challenged with Andrew's situation, I would just say, we believe. We believe. And was it hard? Oh, my goodness. Was it difficult? Yes. Was it challenging? Absolutely. Was it heart-rending at times? Yes. When you see your son in the condition that he was in and you see all the tubes in his head and everything else and all that he had to go through. Yes, but you would cling to those words because his words are spirit and his words are life. And it would behoove all of us rather than to spend countless hours just trying to muster up our own confessions. Get before the throne and say, Father, what should I do in this situation? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? Just like Jesus did and just like Paul did. Paul was the same way. Look in the book of Acts chapter 27. Here we have a tremendous key to success. We too want to be responsible to do what he said and to say what he said. And remember, you can also look to the word of God. And when it's quickened by the spirit that that's what you should say or that's what you should do. Nothing wrong with that either. So you can get it either by the spirit. You can get it through the word. But the point is, we need to stay with it knowing that God heard us and we're acting upon His Word. But here is a situation where sometimes we can question, let's say, what Paul did or did not do. The story is when they were to set sail to go to Rome, and you know the story. That's when the storm broke out, right? Okay, let's read it. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous... Because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the, of the lading of the ship and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. That represents the flesh. Does it not? But Paul's statement represents what? The spirit. He had perception. Now, just to put things in their proper setting, to show how we can be, be attacked and challenged and tempted, why do they say it's okay for us to go? Because there was a south, southern wind that was blowing. See, they understood the winds. 
And it was coming from the south, which meant that the weather was going to be fine. And there's really nothing wrong with us setting sail because we're going to make it at least to a certain place. Well, they were going by the flesh. They were going by natural things. And again, nothing wrong with that. They help us navigate through life. But when we step over here and Paul said what? I perceive. Okay, spiritual perception, physical evidence. Sorry, Paul, we're going over here because, see, this is what we believe in. This is what we trust. So we're just going to stay here and go with these guys because they're experts. They're the professionals. They know what's going on. You, you're a preacher. Okay, let's read on. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship and the third day we cast out with our own hands and the, the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. And before we read that, a storm hits. Eurocladin, which is beyond anything you can imagine. You talk about the perfect storm. It's like a typhoon, cyclone, hurricane, all coming together. And we know at least 14 days. Now, can you imagine just, we heard of the recent hurricanes that hit our country and the devastation that was done, remember? That was in a matter of hours. 14 days and more. Many, many days they're in this storm, and basically it, it, it's, it's something like this. Their boat went high to the heavens and then down to the depths. So this thing was rocked up, falling down, up and down, up and down, without any pill to take for nausea. Now, if you could imagine that, not for 14 hours... But for 14 days and more, can you imagine what that would be like? And there's nowhere to go. All right. Before I even get that, one more moment. Imagine this. It looks so wonderful. Isn't that what temptation is? It looks so great. It looks wonderful. It's nice soft southern breeze that's blowing and everything. There's no problem. There's no concern whatsoever. Isn't that what temptation is like? Go ahead, touch it. Go ahead, taste it. Go ahead, do it. It's okay. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to harm you. Do you know that that kind of a storm, it's known in the Mediterranean that's there, it's known to just all of a sudden hit at once. They should have known that. And they should have known that the time was at hand that that could happen. Okay, but they just ignored it. And they ignored Paul. Temptation is the same way. How did the devil try to tempt Jesus? You're hungry. Here's some bread. And so on. Let's read on. Here's what happens. Paul, isn't it something that Paul didn't by this time and all these days rebuke the storm and the wind and the sea like Jesus did? Why didn't he do that? He knew his authority. He understood faith. 
But you know, he didn't do it. I can't answer that question. Uh, I can give you some thoughts. They were in disobedience. They didn't do what God said to do. They refused to listen to what Paul had to say. And maybe now, you know, they're riding out the storm rather than having the storm stop instantly. But here, let's read on. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened or hearkened unto me and should not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort, no, notice, when we set sail on the sea of life, we can make decisions that look good from the beginning. For example, sometimes people, they get on the marriage boat and they set sail on the sea for marriage. But they failed to honor the word of God and they married someone who was a non-believer. And so they set sail and now when the storm hits, hmm, a lot of problems along the way, a lot of hurt along the way, a lot of damage along the way, a lot of loss along the way. Because they didn't listen to what the Lord said from the very beginning. See, temptation that takes us above and beyond the word of God can lead to things like this. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Why? For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. How can he say something like that after all this time? He says why? For there stood by me this night the angel of God, and whose I am and whom I serve. Listen to those two statements. Whose I am, I am God's, and I serve God. Saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given thee all them that sail with thee. Apparently, Paul prayed for them all. During that time of abstinence, during that time of not eating anything, Paul was somewhere praying and believing God, I'm sure being you know, shaking all over the place in the process. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. You know why he didn't step out to do it that way? Because he was told to do it another way. He was told to ride out the storm. He was told to tell the people, don't jump into the water or you're going to die. And if you read the whole situation, you find out they were attempting to do that. And he said, look, if you want to live... You better listen to me this time. You didn't listen the first time, but you better listen this time. So he is saying what he heard the angel say to him. He is doing what he was told to do during that particular time. So Jesus did what the Father told him to do and said what the Father told him to say. And here we have Paul doing what he was told to do by the angel and saying what he was told to say. And what was the outcome on both of those situations? Success, right? And so it's okay to know our authority and understand our, how faith works, and we should. But it's also as equally as important for us to get the mind of God and hook up together with Him so that we can say, this is what the Lord said to do. Look at John 15, verse 7, because this is exactly what that's talking about. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. But notice the criteria. You have to abide in me, and my words have to abide in you. Whether it comes by means of me studying the word, or it comes by me of listening to the voice of the Spirit, I need to know what God is wanting us to do in this situation. He may be directing us to do something else. What do I do in this situation? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I speak that? Should I not speak that? And so, um, if we maintain a close fellowship with Him, we can get His mind 
and of course have a strong basis for our faith. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Hearing from the Lord is key to success. This is what you want me to do, and I will do it. This is what you want me to say, and I will say it. Why am I bringing this subject up? A few reasons, but let's read it first. For I pray, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my flesh... If I pray in an unknown tongue, my what? My spirit prays. Notice how important that is. But my understanding is unfruitful. It's detached from the whole situation because I have no clue what I'm saying. But what am I doing? Activating my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding or my mind and intellect. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Praying in the spirit is activating my spirit with the Holy Spirit within. And the more we spend time praying in the spirit, the more we activate both my spirit and the Holy Spirit. And there's an interaction there. And in the process of continuing to do so, we're opening up the door to all kinds of spiritual activities. The gifts of the spirit, the manifestation of the spirit, the action of the Spirit, the impartation of the Spirit, all that is taking place. And yes, it requires faith on our part. But it's important for us to recognize that God has given us something that can take us beyond our fleshly state, our mental state, our emotional state. So praying in the Holy Ghost enables us to pray the perfect will of God out. And also it opens up the door to maybe interaction between us and the Holy Spirit. And that's when he might give directives to us. I remember uh, Brother Hagin saying that same thing. That when he was on that bed of affliction, it wasn't until he got bold with God that God, by the Spirit, said, get out of the bed, basically. And then when he got that directive, he acted upon it and was completely healed. So it's important that we recognize that tongues is extremely important because it is a spiritual activity that activates the ministry of the spirit within and gets our spirit involved, not just our flesh and not just our intellect or our head. And look at Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 because, oh my. And if you know what, if you wouldn't mind throwing 7 up there too, if you can, I'd appreciate that as well. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not physical strength, it's not military forces or power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Now there's going to be a mountain that stands between us and our victory and our success. But notice this, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, what? Grace, grace unto it. Notice, he's even saying what to say. Speak to that mountain. Speak to that mountain. Declare something to that mountain. Get your directive from God and proclaim it, declare it. And we're under, the, the, really, the power of grace, are we not right now? And so we can speak. 
the word of God, we can speak and activate the grace, which is the operational power of God on our behalf. So, in conclusion, it's okay to understand and know our authority. It's okay to understand and know how to operate in faith. And we should. But we should also understand it is equally as important for us to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because He may give us directives and share with us certain things that we ought to say or ought to do to what? Help our success. Help us overcome the situation. In some cases, even prevent things from happening. So it's important that we stay in tune with the ministry of the Spirit and not just cater to the flesh. The flesh will always want to cave in, give up, lose heart. And if it's not winning, if it's not prevailing, it becomes a detriment to our spiritual walk. But when we say, I'm looking beyond my flesh. You know how difficult it is when we are tempted or when we are attacked physically to keep our eyes on spiritual things like the serpent on the pole. You get, you get snake bitten down here. But he says, keep your eyes up there. Not necessarily an easy thing to do, is it? Keep your eyes on spiritual truths, not on physical truths because the spiritual will always override the physical and that's the fight of faith the flesh wars against the spirit but my ankle says it hurts but the cross says you are healed so what do I say and what do I do those two things okay Lord here I am I'm like Jehoshaphat the enemy's coming that's a physical thing and it's a reality and it's a truth Three armies are coming against us. I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. And what does he tell them to do? Send out the praise team. Send out the worshipers. Oh, hallelujah. And victory will be yours. Because you can't do that in the natural and say that's going to bring success. It's just not going to happen. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, 
come into my heart, and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.